This morning, I want to kind of push on a little bit more from where we were last week together when we looked at uh, Psalm 86 and how David, King David, um, when he was in a tight spot, the psalm doesn't tell us exactly what the tight spot was, but um, it was enough of a tight spot for him to be in, in a place of honest communication of, oh God, I am a poor person, I need you, I am desperately needy of you, and he was aware of circumstance around him that was trying to uh, rob him of life. And in the context of all of that, David's prayer was, Lord, teach me your ways that I might rely upon you and your truths. And so what we did last week was we started the journey and the conversation of, you know, as this year unfolds, as God leads us individually and as a people, that um, we would we would build for ourselves in response to the goodness of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, we would build for ourselves some infrastructure like David had, some spiritual infrastructure that we can lean on and leverage off of in the power of the Holy Spirit to engage in our daily life and daily walk. Now, who can remember last week we talked about teach me your ways and there was five little tags that kind of went in behind that teach me your ways. Can anyone remember one of those five things that teach me your ways? Oli, show up, participate, nice and loud, I need to hear it. Listen up, grow up, you're nearly there. Number five is be aware, that's right. They're the five things, that, that, that idea of being a student of God or a disciple of Jesus, where he is master, I'm apprenticed, his wisdom wants to teach me in such a practical way that I can navigate life and situation and circumstance and relationships. And so a good student does those things, and King David expressed that through Psalm 86. He showed up. He listened up to what God had to say. He then participated with what God was saying. So he engaged with God, he, um, which is really interesting because a lot of the times we bang on heaven's door asking to hear the voice of God, knowing full well, though, that if heaven actually speaks to us, we're going to turn a blind ear to it, a deaf ear to it, I mean, or a blind eye, either way works. And, um, but it's like, oh. And so, you know, we need to ask ourselves the motives, the deeper motives with great honesty and transparency before God. Why do we even want to hear from God? Because he might actually speak to us. Then what? <laughs> then what? Will we participate? So participate was um, the next bit. Um, and then uh, listen up. Participate. The fourth one was... No, show up was one. Be aware is five, which is, in other words, be aware of the works and words of the enemy that will want to be around you, seeking to stop you from being a good student. What's up? <laughs> that's, a, that's a number six. We could put that one in there, Dave. Harden up. <laughs> um, or maybe soften up either side, depending on where you are. 
Um, but today, I also want to pick up on a prayer that came out of the, the heart of another one of the Old Testament greats, who also cried out these words of, God, teach me your ways. And, and, um, but his context was a little different, and that's the story of, of Moses, and um, where he's led the people of Israel out of Egypt and captivity. Great signs and wonders have been manifest in the earth. The oceans have been set parted, the waters have been parted, and the nation of God moves through to um, safekeeping on the other side, and the Pharaoh's army is completely destroyed. Now, it's in this context that Moses now is um, trying to lead a nation of people, and God, who has led them to this point, is, is in this most... It's really interesting because I think God becomes very vulnerable in this story, in this account. God says to the people of Israel in Exodus 20, he says to them, right, I want everyone to prepare themselves, the whole nation, man, woman, child, priest, everybody needs to prepare themselves because I'm going to come and fellowship with you and you are going to come up and fellowship with me and I'll be your God and you will be for me a nation or a whole people of priests who will represent me in the earth to the whole world for the blessing of the world. And so this, this moment's about to take place. And then God invites them to come on up after this preparation period. And then the people see God, his manifest presence come before their very eyes. And the, the Bible describes it as like this full-on like dark cloud. And it sounded like there was claps of thunder and lightning all going on around it. It's this, and it sounded like, Million, you know, all these horns and trumpets like bah, blaring very loudly, almost deafening like. And the people of God see God coming towards them, and the people say, No, no, you're too, no, we don't, we don't want to be that close to you. We're scared of you. We don't want to be that close to you. Even though you want to be close to us, we don't want to be close to you. Now, you've got to understand, at this point, there is no such thing as a single law in place in the relationship between God and his people. There is no law. It's just the relationship covenant that God has established with Abraham. And Abraham believed in his heart that of God, and God credited that to him as righteousness. So there's no law in place other than heartfelt relationship with God and God with the hearts of men and women. And the people see God and they go, too much, too big, too scary for us. Moses, you, you go up. You, you represent us. And when you're there, get God to scratch out the rules of how we relate and we will obey that. And so what they were establishing was another form of covenant relationship with God. It was the people asking this of God. And so God says, and I imagine, you, you know the experience of being rejected by someone? 
it can hurt, you know. It kind of reaches deep into the soft underbelly of who we are. I, I kind of figure that maybe the soft underbelly of the heart of God kind of got rend a little when the people said, we don't want to relate to you heart to heart. We want rules because we were too scared of what the heart to heart thing might actually mean. And so they get the rules and it doesn't take long, even in the process of getting the commandments or the shape of the relationship, the covenant relationship, known as the then, then known as the Mosaic Law. It doesn't take long before the people make a meal of the agreement that they've made with God and that God has made with them. And I won't... Can't, but the basis of that relationship was one of blessing and cursing. I can't go into all the detail of it. But other than to say, it was like, if we honour you and your ways, God, your blessing will be on us. But if we, can, if we reject and, and in the face of your kindness and choose to be our own kings and gods, then your cursing will be upon us. And that's what the people asked for. And that's what God gave them in exchange for what was the covenant relationship with Abraham. Pretty tragic stuff, huh? We're really smart, aren't we? <laughs> Their story is our story. Their story is our story. And so this has taken place, and now they've made a mess of it, and now God has to act on the basis of the agreement of the covenant that he's going to like pour out some judgment on these guys and basically distance himself from them. And we get to Exodus 33. And Exodus 33 is where we're going to read this morning. And if you've got your Bible with you, uh, in Exodus 33, Moses is now with the Lord. The people have made a mess of the relationship. The Lord's arm has been moved to have to act on the basis of covenant. And he's wanting to distance himself from the people. And then we hear the cry of Moses. The heart of a person, a man, woman or child, can turn the heart of God, can turn the heart of God. So here we are in this, um, this story. Hopefully you can read the text up there. I'm picking up in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you'll send with me. You've said, I know you by name and have, you have found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, Teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Teach me your ways so that I can have a great superannuation, be exempt from all pain and suffering. And no, teach me your ways so that I might continue to know you. That's his highest prayer. That's the highest prayer of a heart before God that I might know you, God. Remember that this nation, God, is your people, Moses said. And the Lord replied, and it's very interesting if you're reading it here in the English, it says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And where it says presence, it's very interesting because it goes from being an adjective to a noun. And so God is naming himself as presence. 
That's his name to his people. And his name is his function. I am the God of presence, capital P. And I will give you rest. And then Moses said to him, if your presence, and again, it's capital P. In other words, if you does not go up with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with, that should be me, and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other uh, people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked me because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. This is a, that, that is a massive moment right there where this one man in his life of prayer before God and desperation turns the heart of God to another outcome. Very, our, our sincerity before God and for his greater good in the earth is very powerful on his end when he hears that stuff. Uh, you, you know, and I'm not saying God's anything like me at all, but as a dad, when my kids are asking of me to be something other than I am, it stirs something in me to want to be a better dad for them. And I'm not saying God has to be a better God. I'm just saying people's prayers and hearts can touch and affect the affections of God's heart and the outcomes of his heart in the earth. It's very, very powerful. And, and um, it's an incredible thing to walk in as well. So Moses says, uh, he says to Moses, I'll do the very thing you've asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. And Moses says, now show me your glory. And it was interesting, we sang about that this morning. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I'll proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. And then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock, and where my glory passes, when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, and but my face you must not see. This is a really interesting story, and one of the things, the very strong themes that comes through this account is, is that for Moses, the defining difference in that moment of what, what, what life was like and what, was, what life was about to become and present to him was based upon the presence of his God. He was, it was as if everything had been reduced around him till all he had left was to bring himself to this place of the defining difference between where we are and where we need to be is purely found in the presence of our God. Have you ever felt like God has like journeyed you into those spaces where what is is completely unsatisfying and yet you know that 
because of his spirit, he's whispered to your heart over many years of the things that he wants to bring to you and through you to the world. And yet it feels like that is far off and but a dream and maybe even dying in you. And he's backing you into this space, this moment of relationship where he's asking us, will we be like Moses and only have the presence of God as the defining step forward? I've had plenty of those moments and I'm sure that you guys have too. I think for me, Jesus made all the difference to my life when I first encountered him. He made a massive difference to who I was, to who I then became. It was Jesus and Jesus alone. I was not one who was given to forgiveness and love. I was one who was bound up with being angry and bitter towards anyone that even looked at me the wrong way. But when Jesus came, when his presence, his lordship, his kingdom came into my life, there was a defining difference from that moment on. Many times we found ourselves praying with the sick or just handing out food in the name of Jesus to individuals and even offering that little bit of food in that moment in the name of Jesus to somebody has been the defining turning point for their life where all of a sudden they awoke to the reality that God is deeply interested and lovingly at work in their life. We've had wonderful stories and testimonies of people who've, who have known nothing of this place, of life of, and worship in this place, and have simply come to the Mercy Centre for some food in a moment of desperation. And the team, as well as giving food in the name of Jesus, have offered, what's your situation and can we pray for you? And they offer these very humble yet simple heartfelt prayers before God and with people and we get these letters coming in of people saying you've got no idea of how my life turned around and my circumstances changed in that moment in that very moment and the reason why is because the presence of God was made known he is the defining difference Jesus is the defining difference and he wants to continue to be the defining difference every single day for us. The presence of our God, the daily difference. How are we investing? At the start of the year, it's just good. Take stock, just take a minute. And if you want things to be different this year than last year, ask yourself, am I prepared to invest in a relationship with the Jesus who wants to be the defining difference? Otherwise, this year will be the same as every other year. And I'm not saying Jesus will save you from every trial and difficulty and challenge. Not at all. But he wants to be the defining difference in how we navigate them and how we walk through them and how we respond to them in the, good, in the goodness and the provision of his grace and power. It's a great account, this where Moses is really saying, God, you're the defining difference. I think one of the things that, um, you know, it was great just to hear Scott a few moments ago sharing a, a little bit of his story when he came into the Vineyard movement as a young adult. 
um, after growing up in the churches of Christ. I grew up as a Methodist kid, and when I was young, less than 10, the Methodist church became the Uniting Church. I grew up in the Uniting Church, <clears throat> and, um, and I had an, ex- you know, an understanding of God and his, and his church and the kingdom through that experience. But then one day, as Nicole and I were pastoring in a Uniting Church in North Queensland, um, Ken Fish came to town. And he came to town, and he was one of these guys from the vineyard. Now, most of you have probably met Ken or heard of him. We've had him come through here a number of times. But there was an encounter with the Holy Spirit that we had never encountered before when we were there at this meeting that Ken was facilitating. And he prayed this very simple prayer. And the prayer was, Holy Spirit, come. It was just that simple. And I'd never quite heard it prayed with the sense of loaded expectation that was behind the invitation that Ken gave to the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I'd kind of heard of, oh God, you know, in all your greatness and your, your providence and all of your sovereignty, guide us, lead us. But, 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 but when Ken prayed this Holy Spirit, come, he was literally inviting God, would you like come into this room and completely ratify every person's life with an encounter with you so that you would be the defining difference between who they are right now and everything that you have for their life going forward. He didn't say all that, but that was the loaded kind of, expectation behind his prayer and after that Nicole and I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit that completely revolutionized us and we were we were on a new pursuit and one of the things that God graciously did was he brought us into this movement called the vineyard and one of the very wonderful distinctives about this movement is when we pray that prayer come Holy Spirit we're not asking for God to kind of be out there and around us We're actually asking him to please break into who I am in this very moment, that your kindness, your kingdom, and your power would ratify my life so that you would be the difference between where I am and when I walk out that door and and live the next week in your name. That, that's, and so we were like, that's, that's our tribe. And it's a wonderful distinctive. We're not the only one that has that distinctive, but it is one that we put our hand up to saying is very important to us. We love the presence of God because we know with his presence, life and circumstance change and can turn and be redeemed. And sometimes it takes hard work to agree with that outworking of God. It takes a, I am going to show up. I am going to listen up. I am going to participate. I am going to grow through this and I am going to be aware of what the enemy might want to do in this moment to rob me of this journey. And it does require a sense of connectivity. But one of the things I love about this place here at Vineyard Pine Rivers is, Holy Spirit, come. It's a vineyard distinctive, and we love it. So Moses cries out this prayer. Teach me your ways. Teach me your ways. 
it's sometimes people have a saying they say it's not what you know but it's who you know I actually think that's incomplete it is what you know because of who you know it is what you know because of who you know as to how you'll do life. You know, um, many years ago, I used to work with my brother and we used to travel around Australia together and work in trade show environments and selling and um, cold calling and all that fun sort of stuff where you get lots of people going, ah, oh, no thanks, not today. And then when you do get someone that says, oh, that sounds great, and you make a sale, it's like, waha! You know, we lived in that kind of context for a number of years. And it was great. But in, in, invariably, we would travel a lot and all our, we'd have all our product in trailers that we'd tow all around Australia and we'd get to um, these trade shows and we'd have to set up and they're all very much guarded with security and all, they've got all that sort of security around it because of all of the, the value of all the products that are inside the, the show. And um, you couldn't get in or out without the, the pass, you know. Um, and so... You know, I would often leave my pass in in the show area, the display area, the night, you know, at the end of the day or the night and then go to the hotel that night and the next morning try to get in. But of course, I didn't have my security pass, so I couldn't get in. Now, I knew what I needed. I knew what my circumstance needed. But it didn't matter a hoot what I knew because what I knew wasn't going to get me in. Because I would turn up at the gate and I'd say, hey, listen, I'm working on that stand over there. And, and the guys, they, they knew me. <laughs> and they go, nah, sorry, mate, we can't let you in. I'm like, come on. I know, you know, I know I need my pass to get in, but I've left it in there. And they're like, sorry, mate, you can't come in. You don't have the pass. Now, I knew what I needed for the circumstance. But what I knew was not going to do a darn thing about changing where I was until I'd get on the phone and I'd ring my brother who's inside and I'd go, hey mate, Pete, uh, can you come to the door with my security pass because these guys won't let me in, I've left it in there and he would, he would rummage around trying to find it and he would never be able to find it either and then he'd come to the, to the front gate where I was and he'd say to the guys, hey listen, he's with me and he wouldn't have the pass either, he'd just say, he's with me. He's working with me. And they go, oh, he's working with you. Oh, in you go. Still didn't have the pass. But I got in through the security system because of who I knew. It is about who you know because who you know will affect what you do in your circumstances and either open doors or close them. This year... Get to know the Holy Spirit. Get to know the presence, the capital P presence of our loving God. Because it is what you know about him as revealed in the scriptures and the testimonies of the people sitting around you. It is what you know of your own experience with him, but it is what you know because of who you know. You can pray for the sick. You can pray for the same condition a hundred times but you'll have to pray for them differently each time because the Holy Spirit will show you what's key in those moments. Friends, this year, let it be a year where what you know is fueled by the loving presence of who you know. The other is this. Moses' circumstance um, turned the heart of God in that moment 
and God agreed to walk with the people. Because Moses was basically saying, unless you do this, we're just like everyone else. And I thought you wanted us to be a nation of people that represent you to the world. And, uh, and so the presence of God was the defining testimony of the people to the world. So it's not just the presence of God for you to be able to navigate through your circumstance. It's the presence of who our God is upon you for the sake of of the world. Can you get that? For the whole world. The presence of God is on you for the sake of the world. See, because the the blessing of Abraham was that the whole world would be blessed through God's people in the earth. The presence of God. Now, I'm just going to take a liberty here, and I kind of figure it's almost uh, well, I'm going to take a liberty, and hopefully she won't mind. But last weekend, one of the, one of the um, disciples of Jesus in this place was listening very astutely to the message, obviously. And then they obviously heard the Holy Spirit stirring them beyond the context of our meeting. And they wrote about it online. And the, the situation was here at come ministry time. Uh, there was a person that came out the front because there was a word of knowledge from the Holy Spirit given to the team before the service, that someone was here with an, a right ankle condition that was Jesus wanted to fix up. So the, the right ankle person comes out the front here for some prayer, and then this disciple of Jesus comes along and says, what's going on? And they start, okay, it's the ankle. We need to pray for the ankle. They commanded the pain to leave. They, re, they asked for the Lord to restore the mobility to the ankle. And all the pain eventually left. It was probably about a 10, 10, 15 minute at most process of just continuing to engage with the Holy Spirit in what God was doing. The ankle was, the pain was gone and the mobility was restored to that person's ankle. And in this process of all of that, excuse me, in the process of all of that, there was all this kind of prophetic words that was being given to this person and their heart was just like bursting under the fact that they were, God was loving them. And making himself known to them. It was just a wonderful thing to watch and be a part of. So anyway, that person then goes and leaves the, uh, our, our meeting here at the vineyard, our time of fellowship together. And they go out, out into the street. And they're, they're going shopping. And I'm just going to read here their Facebook feed. Um, and they say, As if today could not have gotten any better. I went to church expecting to participate in something cool that Jesus had planned, and he did. And I did. There was a word of knowledge, and I got to pray for a friend who had pain in her right ankle when she walked on it. The healing power of Jesus touched her, and she said the pain went from three to a zero. After church, I went on mission to find a board game, Taboo, which is interesting. The name of the game was Taboo. But anyway, so three stores later, I ended up at Mr. Toy's Toy World in Launton. And a teenage girl who works there was limping along as she tried to find me the game. Her right ankle was swollen, and she said it was like that for no apparent reason. So I asked her if I could pray for her, and she said she had no idea what that was. But even without any knowledge or belief of what Christ could do, 
After we prayed together, her ankle was miraculously healed and she became really emotional and she said she couldn't believe that all the pain had gone. And I told her to believe it and that Jesus loved her very much and was pursuing her. It was so exciting and such a blessing. Oh, and for the record, Taboo was all sold out. How, how awesome is that? That the presence of God through us, for the sake of the world, blesses others. Isn't it wonderful when you actually find yourself participating in a moment with God for the sake of someone else? It so like fills the tank. It so like puts gas in our system, you know, and gives us a sense of joy and expectation that our God is alive. Now, if you look at John chapter 5, and I won't do a big exegesis on that, but in John chapter 5, Jesus heals a guy at a pool. And as he heals the guy at the pool, the scriptures tell us in John chapter 5 that that gentleman has been an invalid for 38 years. And he couldn't get into the pool. And the reason why it was important to get into the pool was because the spiritual belief was that as the... um, Bubbles would come up every so often from the base of the pool as it was being fed with water and, and bubbles come up. The understanding was that was an angelic visitation and anybody who, who jumped into the water, the first person that would jump into the water would be healed. So this guy has been an invalid for 38 years of his life. Now, I don't know if he's been sitting beside that very pool for 38 years, but it's 38 years enough for John, the gospel writer, to make note This guy's been crooked like this for 38 years. An invalid. It was an important detail for John. He's trying to stress a a point about this person's life and circumstances. And Jesus basically walks up to this guy and says, what do you want? And so he heals, Jesus reaches out and heals this guy. And Jesus tells him, pick up your mat, walk. And so this guy does, after 38 years an invalid, gets up and walks. Could you imagine what those rickety little spindly atrophied legs would look like trying to like get some energy in them to walk? It would have been clunky and awkward and noisy. I mean, it would not have been like sophisticated and beautiful and, you know, I'm walking now. I mean, this guy hasn't walked for 38 years. Learning to get center of balance, the whole deal. But he finds it because Jesus heals him. And he walks out of there and then the religious leaders of the day of the law, they get all cranky and stinky because they're operating under the Mosaic law. And they say, He's, who's done this to you? He did it on the Sabbath. They missed the fact that this guy had been healed. Because they, they, they didn't have, they were that far removed relationally from God in their hearts that they were now depending purely on the basis of behavior modification. And as they did, did that, they said, who did this to you? And in, in the end, he, he goes to them and he says, it's, it's Jesus, he healed me. And from that moment on, John says in the scriptures, John 5, those guys were out to, to kill Jesus. Kill Jesus. Why? Because he healed someone on the Sabbath, on the day of rest. Well, didn't, didn't, 
Didn't Moses get told that with the presence of God, I'll go with you and give you rest? That's what rest looks like. Rest looks like healing after 38 years of being an invalid. Rest looks like deliverance. Rest looks like the kingdom of God shifting our circumstances. Rest looks like our hearts turning the heart of God in such a way that his kingdom comes and no longer are we the same. That's what rest looks like. So Jesus heals this guy and he says these things. It's really interesting. Uh, He says these things. Let me find it here. He says to the guy, he says, well, look, he says to the guys who are chipping at him, he says, look, my father's always at work. Sabbath or no, my father's always at work. As you get into 2016, where is the presence of God at work if he's always at work around you and in you and me and us? Where is he at work? Because Jesus then replies, and guess what? I too am at work. I kind of figure Jesus doesn't mind sweat on the brow because that's what rest looks like, participating with God, the God agenda. And Jesus says, because I only do what I see my father doing. Well, the question to me is, What do we see and what aren't we seeing? Because we're not participating. Friends, it's really interesting. Our God's not dead. Our God is alive. Even though the world would want to to taboo our our worldview and say it's bankrupt and God is dead. No, it is not. Our God is alive. And people down at, at Mr. Toy's Toy World, Launton, are being transformed by the visitation of the presence of God through his people. Right here in our town, through the people, of, the people of Jesus right here at Vineyard Pine Rivers, because we've actually engaged with the invitation of God to be the God of presence. Now, I want to quickly finish here. It's interesting where Moses, after getting all this stuff going on with God, he says, show me your glory. I want to invite you to please reconsider in the power of the Holy Spirit this year and a fresh invitation to growing in your intimacy with God. It's interesting in this encounter where Moses meets with God at Exodus 33, God says, no one can see me and live, Moses. And so he provides a place for God to, his, all his goodness to pass by Moses and then Moses can only see God from the back. As God goes past, because he says, no one can see my face and live. No one can see my face and live. And right now, there's probably some of us in this room. That's probably a really great way of describing our current level of intimacy with God. Yeah, I, I want to see you, but I'm only seeing the back of you. And for some reason, God in his kindness has kind of got us in that space. Because some, I, you know, I, I don't know the mind of God on this, but I, if I knew everything that God was wanting of me and for me at certain parts along the way of my life journey, I probably would have like 
that's too much because I, I wasn't living in my true identity in God as his son. It's too much, God. I can't, you can't be asking that of me. It's just me. Do you know who you're talking to? And so he still makes himself known to me, but in his kindness, I'm just seeing his back. Because if I saw all of him at this point, it would completely blow me away. Now, I remember the day. No, I won't go there. I'll leave that. But then later on in the book of Numbers, it's, there's this amazing encounter, let me read it to you, where Aaron and Miriam, they get all stinky about Moses' leadership and the fact that only God seems to be, you know, working through him and, and what about us? Give me some action. I want some prominence. I want some visual sort of appreciation. You know, these guys were important people in the leadership of the nation. But in, in, in Numbers chapter 12, Moses, uh, Aaron and Miriam, the Lord's like, hey, he's not real happy with their, their attitude. And they, let, let me read it quickly to you. They began to talk against Moses he was, because he'd married a Cushite. And um, it says, has God spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? The Lord heard this. Now Moses, it's in brackets here, it's very interesting. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. (laughs) Humility, that's a whole other subject, but you might want to highlight that one. Once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, the three of them, he said, come out of the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them came out and then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and he stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. And when both of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions and I speak to him in dreams. How cool is that? Visions and dreams. And he's elevating the role of the prophet to the people of the kingdom and the the ministry of prophecy. And then he goes on a little bit further and he says, but this is not true of my servant Moses because he is faithful in all my house. And when I speak with him, I speak face to face. Clearly, not in riddles, because he sees the form of the Lord. So Moses has journeyed in a relationship with God from face or back to face, God's back to Moses' face, to now he's seeing and meeting with God face to face and he's surviving. And he's surviving. Friends, God wants to take us all on that journey this year into the place of deeper intimacy with God face to face face to face. I want to encourage you as 2016 unfolds that you would welcome the presence of God to show up and you listen up that you participate that you grow and that you remain aware Teach me your ways was Moses' cry. Jesus said, 
my Father's always at work. Show me your glory. That's, I, I just feel like that's, that's what's on the heart of God for us this morning. His presence does make all the difference. It is the distinguishing, defining difference between people of the kingdom and everybody else on the face of the earth. Now, we've only just scratched the surface on that and opened that one up. But he wants to be the defining difference for you this year. He's always at work, and he's inviting you to join him, to be at work with him for your joy and for the well-being of our, our world. In all of the relationships that you're in, in all the work environments, in all of your vocations, in the way that you parent, in the way that you write your stories and paint your artwork, the presence of the Lord wants to be the defining difference so that the distinguishing feature about who you are as a follower of Jesus and the rest of the world is him.